Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim O'Malley and Tim Priester. Uh, we're slightly removed from the Duke basketball game last night, which was interesting in its own merits, but we also got a complete info bomb uh, from <laughs> Notre Dame football yesterday, interviews with all the new assistant coaches, uh, including Director of Football Performance Matt Bayless, who I talked to for a while. Um, our first media availability with Brian Kelly since post-game USC, which has been, I mean, basically a record um, for... <laughs> Gaps, gaps between press conferences, and it was, I don't know, it was an interesting Brian Kelly yesterday. He was definitely upbeat and confident about his staff, but was also pretty upfront that last year was bad, which is not breaking news, but the fact that he he got to a point, which I think we all have wanted to see, where it was a heck of a lot less about 26 years as a head coach and a lot more about how do I evolve so year 27 isn't my last one at Notre Dame. And I thought that that has to be his perspective as maybe reluctant as he was to get into last year. He has to at least acknowledge that before moving on. I, I thought it was it was good that he owned it. I mean, and he completely owned it. He said there's no such thing as bad football teams, just bad coaching and leadership. And I did a bad job of leading the program, which... He's absolutely right. <laughs> it, I thought it was good that good that he owned that because um, I mean it was a disaster. Everybody said it. Everybody knew it, and he laid it out there. And I agree that he kind of referenced. I'm going to say it once, and I, and I will reference it. Time to move on after that for him. There's no does him no good to keep talking about how poorly they did last year, and he's certainly not going to talk about that on National Signing Day when it's a celebration <laughs> no. of all things Notre Dame. And on uh, National Assistant Coaching Hire Day, when it's a celebration yeah, of all things, not that new he coaches. won't be. He'll be asked about it certainly sure. down the road. Of course, but I, I thought that was the right approach. He said the right thing with an eye to improvement, though. Every time he right. answered from now on, being this is what happened and this is what we're changing. Yeah, it was. I mean, we've seen stonewalling in our twenty plus years covering Notre Dame when people really don't want to talk about what just happened. That was bad. This wasn't that. That right. um, he at least you know acknowledged it. Spun it forward. I thought you had an interesting line of questioning with him about, you know, just after a while, just do you just change coaches just so the approach and the the message is a little bit different? Yeah, I I do think like if you basically if you took, you know, Chip Long, but had him programmed to say everything that Mike Denbrock said, it would still be an improvement over doing the same thing with the same person. I, I think they needed to change message and messengers um, opposed to just sort of like, oh, bring back this staff and let's just do something totally different. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that would work. I, and I thought that really showed itself in some of the things that um, he said about strength and conditioning, which I asked about too, just what really needed to change? What was the feedback you got from these guys? And without saying it explicitly, I thought he said, 
our team was soft and lazy when it came to to, to weight room. I, that's basically the takeaway. Took that from, from that. the accommodations thing. Yeah, right? but yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> I they could so. show up when they wanted yeah. and just like just come in when you can, just fit it in. Like football was not a priority for enough guys. Training, I mean, when I say football, I mean football training right. was not a priority for enough guys. And now they get to now you get Matt Bayless in there who. I asked a little bit about, like, hey, basically, do you get to play the bad cop? And he's like, yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, that's he's charged, and Brian Kelly is. it sounds like, been very deliberate in meeting with the team with Bayless and saying, he's the guy, you listen to him, and, okay, by the way, workouts are at 6 in the morning. You think he knows he channeled Mr. Miyagi when he said there are no bad teams, <laughs> just bad coaches? He got into Shakespeare. I didn't quite. <laughs> I didn't quite. Latch onto that the way that you. There are no did. bad students, just bad teachers. It's the yeah. exact. Well, I, I also <laughs> thought I, I also thought it was important that he talked about what Chip Long brings to the equation. You know, the the use of the tight end uh, and what he didn't say, but I know that they're they're probably going to get under center, if not right inside the red zone, certainly with inside the five and the and the ten, the multiple backs. I, I I mean, I think that's important as much as. You know, he feels like this is a good match for me that he he runs my offense. Yeah, there are some physical variations within what Chip Long does, and that, that we all agree is very important for this offense moving forward. I want to throw this forward for uh, even though it's better for August or for the Temple game when everybody starts complaining about Say the goal it again, line. Then. <laughs> you sit and watch the national championship game; they are not under center at the one yard line, but they're not going sideways. That's the point. You can snap it to your big, strong quarterback who has a running back offset in front of him and power it in from the one-yard right. line. But you can't run sideways from the one. So I don't know if getting under center is going to be the key. I always assume they couldn't go under center because they didn't practice it, which is just odd to me. You can't just get under center and practice it for 15 snaps every single practice? Too much read option in your offense? <laughs> yes, is too much way? read option in my offense. <laughs> but I have, like, I'm, I'm just excited to see new things, and I think that's part of what Pete was saying. The players probably are, too. It's it's not a totally changed scheme. It's Chip Long calling it through Brian Kelly's eyes, but that's you don't want to overhaul your offense, right? I mean, no, you certainly I, don't I, need to overhaul no, that I, offense. I, I think it's a good matchup. I think wouldn't we all agree that there's too much read option in college football in general? Yeah, I just don't like watching it though. That's <laughs> bias. That's the problem. <laughs> it's it is, it's tough. To Although watch it's effective, yes, I, I, I like you. I've grown kind of weary of of that style of play. It's so prevalent. In terms of the coaches we talked to, like I said, I talked to Matt Bayless. It was, it was refreshing that, you know, everything was not treated as sort of a trade secret or proprietary information. It was just very upfront about, we're going to work hard. I'm going to yell a lot. We're going to have high energy and we're going to compete. And he, he got into some of the specifics, which I also appreciate about how he's broken the team up into sort of eight, eight teams within the team where they compete against each other in agility drills and weightlifting. And it's not just by position. You'll have, you know, guys from different position groups on each team. So you end up with eight of them. He was comfortable enough talking about guys that had really impressed him in the weight room to date, you know, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Niles Morgan, Austin Webster. That's how I heard that. Um, so <laughs> that, it, it was basically your group of captains with Tyler Newsom thrown in. Um, but, I mean, that was interesting. And then I talked to Chip Long for a while, um, and I was mostly curious about, because he, he's talked a lot about how he's a run-first play-action offense, even though his offense statistically was pass-first. Um but he said that, look, this is the most talented group of certainly of tight ends and offensive linemen that I ever worked with, and that is going to give me 
some creative license to do something different because I just I haven't had an offensive line that could just potentially move people backwards. And he's excited to have an offense that you know, his quote was, I can run the ball when I want to. I don't think Notre Dame's offense coordinators wow. felt that way in a while. No, it's good that's good to hear. Well I was with Elko and Lee and, and Elko I mean, you know, as much as an interview can can impress, I mean, uh, because obviously what happens on the field is is of ultimate importance. But without getting into scheme, because we'll address that in segment two with one of the questions. But I mean, just you know, some of the things that he said when when we teach it, it's going to last. In other words, I'm not going to come in in week five and say, okay, everything that we've been doing up to this point, we've got to do it a little bit differently this week because of the opponent. And and to me, that 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 smacks of a, a Brian Van Gorder type move. And I wrote, even wrote in the story yesterday, I think Elko is the anti-Van Gorder uh, just because of his approach with communication. With Van Gorder, we knew that it was, I'm going to teach them this, and if they don't do it well, it's on them. They're not good enough. Elko doesn't believe that. Uh, you know, If they don't understand it, if I don't communicate it, it's on me. And I thought it was interesting that Brian Kelly actually when I asked him about his uh, uh, Elko's predecessor, he actually used Brian Van Gorder's name and said he's one of the smartest guys in business when it comes to you know knowledge base of of defensive football. But at the end of the day, you have to communicate right. it, and that was Brian Van Gorder's biggest issue. Yeah, I talked to Brian Polian and Tommy Reese, and the interesting thing about Polian is I went in almost solely starting out with being a you know full time special teams coordinator. How important that is, and how does it help him? And he he said. Back when he was at Notre Dame, his at first he had he was like the second set of hands for Bill Lewis in the secondary, but the special teams coordinator. And then he was basically coaching linebackers when Corin Brown was the defensive coordinator. And he said it is not the right thing to do for college football teams to make their special teams coordinator coach another position. You don't have the time in the day to dedicate to it, and you will shortchange either your position. Or the special well, teams. with the tenth, with the tenth coach coming, you've talked about nine programs. Right. Notre Dame will now be number ten. That's going to expand greatly. Yes, and he said what the teams I mentioned in that there were nine programs last year, and he said what you for that you usually have to have a head coach. The coach is a position, and a couple right. of Texas, Texas Tech's quarterback coach was their head coach, right. Kingsbury, or a grad assistant that you trust with everything. And he mentioned we have that in Reese. I don't think they're supposed to talk about the 10th coach officially happening until yeah. it happens as an assistant. But, you know, thinking back, like Kyle McCarthy, they trusted to do the safeties yeah. when he started out. But not a lot of grad assistants can you really give a position. And you can't give them a big position group. It's easier quarterback. They have three guys to coach, basically. Right. Um, but when, then Polian started getting into, I just found it interesting. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lead off the story today, getting into recruiting and how he's learned and developed since he was the 29-year-old Bulldog on the trail. I thought he had some really interesting insight as to what it's like to recruit for Notre Dame, and this will make message board uh, readers pretty happy and when to know when to back off because you know it's not going to work out. It's he not going to be a fit. He was like mm. the Austin Torres of recruiters, right? Just with energy and, and emotion. Well, he could hold onto his pen when he was writing things down and yeah. bouncing out of his hands. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like Chip Long was, like, couldn't stop playing with his cell phone while we were there. Oh, really? I think that, and it, that was interesting. I asked Dell Alexander and Chip Long about this, about how long it takes to understand the product that you're selling to sell it at a maximum level. And, and Long admitted it's like, these players know more about Notre Dame than I do. Um, and I'm talking about the recruits. The one who's recruiting, the yeah, recruits, yeah, yeah. like, know more about, like, grad rates and stats. And it's like, yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot to learn. And I think having Polian on staff hopefully will be a good recruiting influence for those guys because Brian Kelly fell into this trap, too. Get to Notre Dame, 
I can recruit everybody. I'm in Notre Dame. This is awesome. And then you end up with T. Shepard and Deontay Greenberry, who, I mean, you could tell immediately were terrible fits to stay out of those, to stop running down those dead end, dead end, dead end and blind alleys. Um, I think Brian Polian has sort of lived that here himself, and hopefully he can help the staff and the new guys sort of avoid that moving forward. Um, I, I spoke with Clark Lee and, um, you know, a couple of things he said. One, that he, he, he was always wanted to be at Notre Dame. He wanted to play at Notre Dame. He said, Notre Dame was my dream school, but I wasn't their dream player, which I thought was a That's great good. quote. That was in the, with the Notre Dame story earlier in the week. But uh, he talked about, you know, Notre Dame became important to him when he saw Rudy when he was in middle school. Which really made me feel old, but uh, <laughs> since I used to watch football practices with Rudy, um, but uh, I thought the best stuff that he said outside of just you know specific linebacker stuff, which by the way, Lee will coach the Buck, the Mike, and the Rover. That the Rover is his responsibility yeah. within the scheme, which I guess makes sense. But he just talked about how much the players at Wake Forest loved playing for Elko, and I and I think we saw evidence of that. You know when he when Elko left Wake Forest and just the the reaction to that and communication again was the word that kept coming up, which is why I say the anti Van Gorder because that was just that was not a strong suit. He taught it. You should know it. If you don't know it, it's on you. Elko looks at it. Hey, that's on me. I thought speaking with Reese, I thought the really the most enlightening thing he said was he admitted before after being Northwestern and going to San Diego, he said, "Man, I really thought." I knew a lot about my job and about coaching football and coaching quarterbacks. And then I got to San Diego and realized how much I don't know, how much most people don't know. And he said, that's just from talking to Philip Rivers all the time, a player. Not even just from mixing with the coaches. He was an offensive assistant at San Diego. It it was interesting to hear him say, boy, the growth in one year. And I kind of asked him, do you think that's how you got this job, the the move to San Diego? And, of course, he's like, "I I I didn't hire myself. You'll have to ask. I think Coach Kelly, of course, but he was no. I, he was pretty happy to be back. I, I think he really likes the situation, and I think it's. I mentioned this earlier. Good that he has a small room. Yeah, it's, he's in charge of three guys, right? Basically, and I think he knows how to. Isn't do it? Uh, I mean, isn't it kind of interesting to hear Tom Reese or Tommy Reese? He obviously doesn't he care doesn't what care. you call him. Care, yeah. um, you know, certainly he's going to be in coach speak mode. But he was always in player speak yeah. mode, and you saw. I thought he was a little bit more loose and comfortable, just being the guy that's going to end up being Notre Dame's quarterbacks coach. Yeah, he was happy when because uh, I, I find it interesting that when you're coaching quarterbacks, especially a freshman coming in, I didn't, I didn't want to use names because no coach wants to talk about redshirting a player yeah. in January. But you know, if you have a good year at quarterback for a team, one of your quarterbacks redshirts. He's not going to play, and I wanted to know how how do you keep guys engaged like that? And he, he probably gave an answer that just I don't know. Personally, I liked it. I think other people will as well. He said, I cannot stand my pet peeves if someone's not competitive. So if my guy is redshirting, he understands someone's going to redshirt in the quarterback room. Yeah. Otherwise, something really went wrong. Right. He said, if, mm-hmm. if he is not fully engaged at all times, then I want <coughs> nothing to do with him. I can't stand non-competitive people. And I think if, if Tommy Reese wasn't the most competitive guy in the world, he wouldn't have started one game at Notre Dame, much no. less 31. So it was a little insight into the... Uh, and then he also made reference to Brandon Woodbush's arm and marveled at it compared to his own, which is funny. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've already ran a little long here on this segment, but real quickly, let's jump into basketball because they're in a rut. There's no doubt about it, and their offensive efficiency is bad right now. It, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's happening against Virginia's and, and uh, 
um, you know, Duke and, and some teams like that. Georgia Tech obviously has knocked off North Carolina, Florida State, Notre Dame. So they're a, they're a whatever their record is, they're a front running type program right now. And they're Notre Dame is struggling. I mean, Vastoria looks tired. It, it he's two for sixteen in his last two games. Um, you know, it, it, those lane penetrations at Farrell was just you know. 10, 12, 15 times a game have been reduced. They're getting no offensive productivity out of their big guys other than Colson, of course. They're now looking at John Mooney to play. Beecham's been really good in three out of the four, but in the one that he wasn't good, they needed a little bit of offensive productivity when the game was on the line against Virginia and they didn't have it. So they're in a rut. They're going to North Carolina. They've got Florida State at home coming up. But the last seven games of the year play in their favor. And they're going to have to make up some make some hay during that time. They have Wake in between those two games too at right. home. That's going to be important. They they really are going to have to beat Wake and Florida State at home. And I, I think people look at that Florida State game and think, well, there's no chance they're doing that. But Florida State is not the same team on the road as evidenced by. Remember when I from, said yeah. when I said Florida State has played five of their first seven games at home. Let's see what happens I, now. And they're they're in a rut Tech, themselves. Tech put it on them by 22 yeah. right before they beat Notre Dame. And Tech actually, there's a story. I think it's on Yahoo. Is that Georgia Tech is the story of the season according to the uh, recent uh, a story printed today? But you know, with Notre Dame, they're going to make a change. Um, Mike Bray offered we were changing our lineup up. I don't. I you can't start John Mooney at North Carolina. If you wanted to get John Mooney involved against North Carolina, he had to play two minutes in the first half against Duke and three minutes in the second half against Duke. So that lineup change will probably be a small small lineup with T.J. Gibbs, which is great because I like T.J. Gibbs, but they're playing the tallest team in the country. So you're going in there, but you know what? You're not going to match up with the tallest team in the country with Martin Gebbin and Austin Torres either, so right. maybe it is right. better to, to kind of try to fit, win a different way. They're probably going to get blown out. They are right to get their ass kicked. Yeah, There's no yeah. doubt about so it. So they they need a total reboot. So in in that sense, maybe Mooney should be should play 20 yeah. minutes because what's the difference? Well, at least you know four or five in each half yeah. or something along those. So lines. it's yeah they're they're in a rut and they're going to be six and five in the league after this weekend. Which again, I actually agree with Mike Bray for some even though he comes off as a little defeatist and at times. Six and five is fine. Yeah. Um, that's a good. That's not a terrible place to be, especially when you look at. You'd have what, eight, ga- eight You've games. You've got. Left. You have Boston College twice. Go you have Wake Forest three? at home. You have Florida State and Georgia Tech that beat you on the road coming to your place. Yeah. yeah. In your last games at Louisville, which will obviously be tough, but you can. I mean, you've got a chance to win. You should win five out of seven. No, actually, after North Carolina, you should. If you're Notre Dame and you can be almost you as good win as all you your were, home games. all of them except, and you should win all of your games. Except for Louisville, they will lose at Louisville. Right. So, I mean, it's yeah. like so you're, they can you're go five and two, you, maybe six and look, one. You got to beat BC on the road. You got to be. You have to just bow up and beat BC on the road. That's all it comes down to. So you it's like you're looking at a worst case eleven and eight league year. Eleven and seven. Eleven and seven league, which is good. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that they would take that. They'll easily make it into the tournament yeah. with that. Yeah, and, I think you know. Oh, I mean, yeah, we were. I mean, it was just a, yeah. ten days ago we were looking yeah. at a uh, double buy. Yeah, can you get a double bite at eleven seven? Maybe they're maybe the ACC is going to beat beat each other up it. enough. Probably just miss it. Carolina's not coming yeah. anywhere down near seven. Du- and Duke's going out. Duke's going up. I can see out of the corner of my eye that Jack's giving me that look that like we are going way too long. This is the end of segment one. We'll be back for segment two in a second. <laughs> Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our burning up the board segment. We start with a question from Terry Benedict. Will Brian Kelly look to name another captain or replace Deshaun Kaiser? If so, who would it be? Uh, I think no. Six is probably enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
three on offense, three on defense, and just roll forward at that. But it's like it, it's Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey on offense, and then Austin Webster sort of you know a background, and then you've got Niles Morgan, Martini, and Tranquil on defense. I think that's that's fine. I, I don't even know who who would the seventh guy be. Josh Adams or, uh, you yeah, know what, Josh yeah, Adams. Yeah, Josh Adams. Yeah, he yeah. was mentioned by uh, Bayless, and that was one that's kind of surprised me. Is like, oh, yeah, I didn't really think of him, but he is a fairly conscientious kid. Yeah, played through a lot. We're getting a, it, this the the captains. That's getting a lot of control, isn't it? I mean, that's yes, yes. <laughs> it's it's a lot of captains, yeah. man. But I think it's good. There's a question later on about leadership, and I think that's what's more important than getting more captains out there. They're already breaking the record for captains. I assume anywhere, just in Notre Dame. But yeah, oh yeah, you know, absolutely. It's... Yeah, I don't think it's... A... We, we, well, to answer the question, we have not heard, but it's unlikely that they would... I don't know why they would. Yeah, I, 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 I knew Kaiser was leaving, too. I don't, think, wasn't... It, I don't think it's necessary unless... Adam, the Adams is certainly a name um, that would be under consideration. Kaiser was that. a 1% chance of staying when he was named captain, right? Yeah. Frank Kelly knows that. It wasn't no, I would say, was... actually, it's quite... It was less than one. <laughs> <laughs> he had a video prepared to, that ran, like, Monday or Tuesday of next week. The award show was Friday night when he was named. Well, he got a chance to be a captain for a week. Bleacher Report should stuff around pretty quickly, but, I mean, come on. Blue and Gold 64 asks, have you heard anything that you, yet that makes you believe this team will have a more active leadership group amongst the players than last year? I think, like you said, you're hearing Josh Adams' name. It, that They need new young guys to step up. Because the young guys were their best, I mean, some of their best players. And Josh Adams is going to be a respected voice. He played through, he's always going to be playing through injury, too. He's... Yeah, but he's he's just a guy that's the, gonna have to battle. The, you know, I don't know who the most respected are, but I would throw out the names of Tranquil and McGlinchey. I mean, I Certainly. think that they would be right up there, probably with Morgan. I'm not sure how vocal Nelson is, although it sounds like he's in that position more now. I think vocal, especially in the in the weight room. Not with the reporters, but I think he's, no, no, I think no, he's going no. to be kicking ass yeah. in the weight room. But, I, I, you know, I, Tranquil and McGlinchey, to me, are guys that, that have natural leadership, and it, it really stands out. Uh, I think Martini does, too. I'm not sure if he's quite as outspoken as, as those guys. Morgan's taken on and a Morgan, big role yes. since the yeah. end of, I think just even he told you, Pete, and was it after the game as recently as that, when he's he kind of hinted about coming back and, and leading and... He he seems to it was it was it was in November he talked about taking on a little more of a leadership yeah, role. Yeah, I remember he he talked a lot about taking on a leadership role, but also got um, specific enough about it that it was like, okay, I lead Jerry Tillery this way, and I lead Tavon Coney that mm-hmm. way, and I can't you know do it the same way for everybody. So he was quite conscious about it. And then I think you got if last season taught Brian Kelly anything about leadership, it's like you got to be thinking two steps ahead. So. What do you do with Dalen Hayes or Julian Love? Um, you know, That's a great to name try for to, this, Julian to Love. To try to put them in a position to do something to take ownership of of the program, even if it's just like a couple shares uh, of it. I think you got to figure out a way to make Julian that Love too. is definitely destined to be a captain yes. in Notre Dame. Yes. He's only a sophomore now, but he, he definitely will be. You're going to talk to him like... 400 yeah, he's great. Dashing Domer, ahead, Dashing Domer, can you please explain the main differences between the four-two-five and the pass system? How do you uh, see current players fitting? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and certainly it was asked of Mike Elko yesterday, and his comment was scheme is irrelevant, which I think is an exaggeration. I think even he would probably admit that. But you know, some of the things that he explained to me, I mean, you could say four-two-five, but it's going to look four-two-five-ish, three-four-ish, four-three-ish. 
I know from watching a lot of the, the um, uh, Wake Forest film that you'll see three down with stand-up guys on each mm-hmm. side. So I don't know that you're going to look at that and say, well, that's not a 4-2-5. It, it, it's, it's a multiple scheme, and, and um, you know, I think some of the differences, you're going to have more threats coming from different areas to, to pressure the quarterback. I don't think it's something that you can strictly define by the numbers, and, and that was something that Elko um, – uh, expressed on on Monday, but you know a couple of things. You know more importantly, and and this is these are his own words. More importantly than four two five is playing hard, being aggressive, tackling well, being physical, knowing what you're doing, uh, coming off blocks, uh, eleven players fitting together. Here's how he put it. Um, I'll paraphrase. It. The collective ele- we're going to make sure our collective eleven is better than your individual athletes on offense, and you know that's all. Again, that's all coach speak. We've heard all that being aggressive, all that stuff, but he has he has the proof. He yeah, did it. He, he did it at Wake Forest. He did it at Bowling Green. He did it at the U.S. Merchant Marines when he was twenty eight <laughs> years old. That was interesting too because he said. You know, he's learned what not to do. I said, well, did you learn that from others? He said, no, I was a defensive coordinator when I was 28. And you wake up on Sunday morning and realize, okay, that didn't work. And that <laughs> didn't work. And at the end of the season, you keep adding mm-hmm. to this works, this doesn't. And he, it's come to the point where he's got a very uh, a much varied scheme. So to get back to the original question, the 4-2-5, most of the time you're going to look at it and you're going to say, that's not a 4-2-5. And that's just a reflection of um you know the variations within within the defensive scheme how it how it impacts certain players that's interesting that's for spring you know, that's, that's I mean, the most interesting part about showing up to spring practice is seeing where those guys well i said to him uh describe the rover for me and he basically proceeded to describe drew tranquil with without saying his name and so i said oh so drew tranquil you have to be an academic all-american and yeah. now it's an engineering major <laughs> from fort wayne maybe <laughs> Oh, Drew Tranquil, and he, you know, we all laughed, and then he went on to the buck position. The buck position is basically uh, what James Onwalu played last year. I, you know, the four two five versus a nickel. I'm not sure if I really understand. Is it? It just could be. A, it could be a variation of personnel. Yeah. Nickel with three safeties. Maybe nickel with three corners and two safeties, whereas your four two five is is more. Free safety. Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm speculating. You know what I found interesting though? I, I tried to watch uh, highlights of the rover positions, and I'm looking it up. His rover was six three two twenty five last year, and looked like a smaller Jalen Smith linebacker type. I mean, he was a great athlete. There, you got to be able to. Mm-hmm. It's zone coverage. You're playing in space, but like the number one thing, and I think Tranquil can do this because he tends to get heavy. Actually, Tranquil. The number one thing is still setting the edge against the run. I mean, yeah. it, it looks like half the time when they do line up four two five, it just looks like. That the outside linebacker scooted out a little bit. Does that make sense? So it, yeah. it doesn't no, it look does. like little Sean Crawford. No, out there. it, it, looks, do, it does based upon like. what he yeah. said. That you know, if we, yeah. if we got trips just, to one just, side really, or the that, other, that's what, and that's what they watched a lot against Temple was there's three receivers and so <laughs> what? rovers out there. I'm like, it looks a little bit like a nickel to me. But that's if you funny. have a six three two hundred, how big was he? Two thirty two twenty five. Then maybe maybe that is Asmar Bilal. Maybe yeah. he does play out there. Certainly Spencer Perry. I yes. think is probably the best example of the player that we don't know anything about that, will be that would there. be a good fit yeah. for that spot because he was lost in space when we yeah. saw him in August yeah. at DJ, safety. DJ Morgan probably right. a yes, candidate was as another well. name. Yep. I mean, they've got um, they've got candidates for that role. I just I'm curious to see 
you know, what that role does that's different. Because I, I think so often we end up overthinking this stuff, and it's just like, well, you need to be a good athlete who can run and make tackles. Hey, it's more. When you said Anualu, he would. That's wouldn't he have been the rover? I thought he would have been the rover too. So it's so interesting that you said that he said Elko that's the one. The he buck. wasn't going to talk names. That's the uh, that's one thing I yeah. can confirm for you that James Anualu would have been our buck last Wow, year. see, that's interesting. That just the huh. way he was able to move in space yeah. and set the edge and everything. So that's. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I wrote down names. Obviously, Tranquil is the first thing, and Bilal. And every time I write down a name, it's never at the first spot. But I keep putting Martini everywhere because would, he's going to yeah. find a way to be on the field. Well, yeah, I, would think, I, I would yeah. think Martini would be the buck because he did play the Sam last year, right? He, yeah, the, oh, so in, Coney, in the last couple years behind Anwalu, uh, and then he switched inside. Coney. I mean, Morgan's obviously the middle. I guess but, Coney is your Mike. 2018 because but the buck i do know has pass coverage responsibilities so that's probably where martini and morgan could play it over coney because you're out you're not outside but you're like where you're like where when they're wide and that and that rover's outside this is i mean this is the temple game it's not like i watched 12 games right it's it's it looks like the weak side linebacker so i thought it's so interesting that's on a while which means i don't know what i'm talking about on the buck (laughs) <laughs> because I would have thought Anawala would be out there for well, sure. We're going to be. Yeah. We're I, gonna... yeah, I just wanted to like, okay, so you got Coney, Morgan, Martini, and Bilal at linebacker. You're telling me only two of them are going to play? And they're better defenses to have Spencer Perry out there? No, that's probably why Bilal just, might be a wrong candidate. Like that. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. We're going to be, I, I wrote this in uh, uh, the message board. We're, we are going to be asked these kind of questions from now till the start of spring. Unless Notre Dame puts out a depth chart, which they won't do, right. or even if they put out an alphabetical list of guys per <laughs> position, which they also won't do. I don't say LB and safety. And, and yeah. Elk also said yesterday, I'm I'm going to use the next two or three weeks to watch guys in conditioning drills to see who fits where. Sure. So he yeah. hasn't figured all of that out yet, too. I'm sure he's, he has a pretty good idea about most of them. Plus, but... someone's going to move during the spring. This just going to work out. Remember James Onowalo, they tried to put him at safety for Van Gorder's first spring, yeah. and then they realized that he likes playing right at the line of scrimmage, and that's the wrong spot. Yeah. But the weird thing about Tranquil, before we get off this, since we'll be talking about it forever, so who is the other safety then? Are you doing Elliott and Stud still? It's not like they're Probably. replete with safety talent. You're moving more, if you move Morgan and Perry out, and you move Tranquil, you now have, so Isaiah Robertson will be here yeah. in, yeah. in January. No, for a back, you need you need people to rotate This is like your spring practice safety does start. Freshman, yeah, freshman, for early enrollee? Yeah, yeah, for Tita back there. Yeah, for Tita. It's just, All right, we could we could probably talk about this question forever, but we'll, we probably will in future podcasts. We will. <laughs> we should have a June podcast about the rover. Yeah, let's just do that. <laughs> oh, God. Air Pirate seventy three of the eighteen current recruits committed. Which ones do you think will contribute the most as freshmen this season? Uh, well, boy, they're in a great spot at tight end. They've got a whole bunch of good tight ends, which is good that Chip Long's here because yeah. he's going to accentuate them. Um, <laughs> Dar- Darnell Yule has a chance to play a nose tackle. Hey, have you ever yeah, heard me say yeah. that before? I've heard that. Uh, you know, Komet, obviously, Robertson, maybe, because of the lack of depth. Really. I mean, and I do like Michael Young a lot. I think Michael Young is, is I would, Mike, well, unless they got uh, a Wusu uh, Karamoa, I would call Michael Young the most underrated three-star on the in the class. I mean, defensive line. Yule can, and what if Hinnish's motor is good enough to earn him the five snaps you need? You know, I, they have a lot of good young guys that played last year. You might, you're, I think you have more red shirts this year than you've ever had under Brian Kelly. Barring a complete catastrophe of injuries, yes. Yeah, the, um, yeah, obviously. Because last, last year, I really felt like 
Well, there's not, not a lot of opportunity for freshmen, and lo and behold, it's like a record-breaking year yeah. for freshman starts. Worked out great, too. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you look at this class, I mean, Yule for sure, behind Hayes, Tillery, and Taylor as, a, as your fourth defensive tackle. I think there's a role there. You know, the tight ends. The, the problem with this class in freshman contributions, it's like mostly a power position class. Mm-hmm which by nature is not going to lead yourself to a whole lot of reps. So it's like, then you're getting into the Michael Young, but probably not because he's not an early enrollee and pretty much the receiver depth chart yeah. comes back. So it's like yeah. Isaiah Robertson I like, I like and maybe Jonathan Dora, the kicker, um, based on you know what may or may not be going on with Justin Yoon, or they just want somebody to just do kickoffs. That's why they got him. So I mean, you're you're up to a, a kicker and a safety who's an early enrollee. I I can't imagine Brock Wright is not going to play. Yeah, right. I just don't know how much. There's four. Not four. He's the fourth. He's got to beat out a senior Nick Wisher for playing time, though. It's consistently it's hard to do, right? It's it's it tough. Is difficult. It really to do. is. It's and I, and I will say this: I, everybody looks at the pictures of Jalen Harris, and we don't. You know, Notre Dame has a shot at getting him. Everybody looks at the pictures of Jalen Harris, and he's real lean in the. And so, oh, he's not going to play because he's too small. If he can rush the quarterback, yeah. he's going to play. Yeah. You'd like to think that Julian O'Quara and Dalen Hayes would make absolutely, it really yeah. a- absolutely. But you know, I don't think you can rule out a guy like that. Anybody that can rush the quarterback can play. Yeah, uh, yeah. This has to be Hayes and Aquara's year, though, don't you? I'm with. I like certainly. Yeah, I certainly would God. So. Yeah. Be the case. <laughs> when you talk about leaders, like... Jay Hayes could be a leader on this team too if he's on the field with. Sure. Yeah, especially if he's on the field because he's a fiery guy. I don't think he's the type that wants to lead if he's not a bunch on the field, though. Yeah, and that's, that's not an that's very not few an insult. Very few people are. And I just think that's would be one of them. All right, we're talking about young tight ends playing, yeah. and that ties in with this next question: Wash and D with Chip Long as new OC. You think Elizay Jones will be the biggest beneficiary on offense, considering Long's background with the tight ends? I think some of the media is higher on Elizay Jones than Chip Long because uh, Chip Long said, "Look, uh, he's got a lot to prove." And then you sit there and like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, he's barely played. Um, so I think we all can exhale on Alizé Jones for a little bit until he gets out there and then is actually eligible in the fall. That, so. that, that could be. I mean, he doesn't have any film of him from last year. Yeah. I mean, he just has no familiarity with him. And maybe he's just trying to temper it all a little bit. I, mean, I think there is a, there, there a boatload of potential there. Yeah. Probably NFL potential. But he has done... Not, almost literally nothing since he's been here. And that's Chip Long is I, I would be like, uh let's just get him into a practice first right. before we put him on I the would back say he set up the list. game winning score in the Temple game which helped launch Notre Dame to the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. I think that's just one thing. Yeah. I think he's, you said. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. did say next. Yeah. To, did I say next to nothing? Ne- or okay, nothing? if you okay. said next to nothing, that covers that. Yeah. I think it's We're in agreement. Yeah. I think he's tempering it, but. We can't just go by they haven't done enough at Notre Dame because Durham Smythe's best contribution was being brilliant and tough and getting off the field of Virginia. Tony Jones and Dexter Williams haven't contributed yet. The only guy that's contributed tight end to running back is Josh Adams on the entire roster. And I think actually Tony Jones is going to benefit from long throwing to the running backs because we saw two practices and that's all I need to see to know. He could catch the ball yes. on the backfield. So I think that'll help a little. And I'm not going to say Dexter Williams' name until September. Because I... <laughs> That's like my trombetti of the offense. Yeah. I'm not allowed to talk about Dexter I, Williams again. You know, I, don't, I think that Brock Wright might be one of these guys because when you look at Notre Dame's tight, who's blocking? <laughs> there, nobody is a natural 
physical at the point of attack guy, and that was actually Brock quite the best part about his game in high school. He's a really good athlete, but also super physical. So I think he might be one of those. He's guys. about as complete of a tight end as you're going to get as a freshman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of John Carlson, who redshirted, but that was a that was a different time and place yeah. for Notre Dame's tight end depth chart back then. Uh, next up. SR5452 with the success in production from Irish receivers in the past like Will Fuller, Michael Floyd, Golden Tate, uh, Chris Brown, not Tim Brown, uh, (laughs) Tory Hunter. Why are they having a hard time landing wide receiver recruits? If it was Tim Brown, they wouldn't be having difficulty. (laughs) You answer that question. Uh, I mean, you may be the most prepared to answer that question. I... I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, because I remember being asked the same question four years ago, but you you would scratch out Will Fuller and Chris Brown and Torrey Hunter. And Tim Look, Brown. For starters, Chris Brown and Torrey Hunter don't really apply to this question. No, there aren't high school recruits who are like, well, Chris Brown and Torrey Hunter. There are a lot who are like, Will Fuller, he was exciting. Um, and I'm surprised they haven't done better at that position. Because... Uh, I mean, it's not only Will Fuller, but it's also, I mean, I would lump K.J. Stefferson in that group as a freshman who came in and contributed right away in a meaningful role. Ecclesiastes St. Brown had a really a outstanding sophomore year. You would think that would play better with some younger wide receivers, and it, it hasn't. Um, why it hasn't, I don't really have a good answer for that, because I, I thought that wide receiver recruiting would really be one of their strengths just like a cut below tight end and offensive line, it really hasn't worked out that way. Did they play the depth chart game at all at seventeen, knowing that Notre Dame brings everybody back for next year? I it's just like, like it's just, an offense that you play through receivers yeah. all the time. I'm, um, I'm, I'm sure they're not. They don't know that like Claypool's a rising sophomore and all that kind of stuff. But I, yeah. if I like Notre Dame's receivers going forward, obviously this next cycle they need to get four and hit on two of them because you need numbers. Yeah. Going, but when you don't lose any, I mean, Stefferson, St. Brown, and Claypool. And Alizé Jones, who I moved already, you know, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. he's not lining up and blocking any linebackers. Mm-hmm. So let's just cut, cut right there and go on. And then if Sanders is your fifth or sixth guy, it's good for two years. It's just you need obviously you need to, the the back end. You're going to have yeah. to get guys you know, when, for eighteen and nineteen. And when you say they play three receivers, yeah, they do. But when when those three receivers are healthy and upperclassmen, no other receivers are playing. Right, so that's true. Yeah. That's you know, I don't know. Maybe we're, I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe we're giving recruits too much credit for viewing all of that. I don't, I don't think they watch Notre Dame quite like we do, but I don't know. We don't, I, I don't, we don't. It. He should be able to get more, more receivers, especially, you know, when you have quarterbacks that are productive as Deshaun Kaiser yeah. was. I mean, also, like on this question, Notre Dame's receivers have been really, really good. Whether there have been five star, four stars, or three stars, and that's why I include Stefferson in that group. So, whatever they're getting at receiver has been good. Now, last year they were obviously down; uh, yeah. they got totally gutted by graduation. Then Will Fuller leaving early—that happens. Um, but Equimini St. Brown had a great year, and Stefferson had a great year. So, I whatever they're getting, it's it's a position that. I actually agree with one of Brian Kelly's early sentiments that like you can sort of X and O your way to good offense. Um, they've done that at the wide receiver position, so I don't. Do I think they would have? Do I think they should have signed or could have signed or a, a top hundred receiver? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it hasn't. You know, Javon McKinley was a top hundred player. Um, 
Chase Copool was a four-star recruit. Equimia St. Brown was a four-star recruit everybody wanted. Um, now, this cycle with Jafar Armstrong and Mike Young is not the case. They're both three-star guys, um, but it's... It, it, it's hard to really get your head around this one. You know, there's a player on the roster that everybody has completely forgotten, and he is a receiver, and he's also a running back. It's Dion McIntosh. I'm not sure how he's going to fit in. Yes. They have. But that is a, that's a name that nobody ever brings yeah. We never bring him up. Uh, he redshirted last year. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wonder if he's a player. I guess we're going to find yeah, out. Yeah, we will find out. We wonder if he has to go back to running back just because there's so many wide that receivers out there. That I mean, you have eight wide receivers. You, can, you need ten, but you have three running backs without... Yeah, CJ Holmes will move to running back when he comes. Yeah, CJ Holmes will be a running back. Spring though, Jones it's will. Spring. Holmes is here, so oh, you have, right. you have yeah, four, yeah. four oh. running backs. So, you know, some, I wonder where he will start because you know, I mean, he, I liked Dion McIntosh's high school film at running back, and then it was a he was fire hose last year in August at wide receiver. I mean, that was he had, yeah, he had no he, had he made no one one handed catch every practice, and everything else was a mistake. Remember, yeah, they would just yeah. be like, look at that catch, and then he'd run the wrong route, yeah, the ball yeah, bounced yeah. off his head, yeah. and it was interesting to watch him. All right, today we have a third segment, and it's going to be completely on, on recruiting, and we'll be right back with that. Segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider is our recruiting roundup. We have some visit updates from Pete Sampson and, of course, uh, over the last few days, uh, a trio of commitments. Yeah, let's knock out the commitments first. Jordan Genmar Keith, sort of a safety, maybe a rover, um, out of San Diego, high school teammate of Rick Meyer's son, which is notable. Jafar Armstrong, receiver from Bishop Madge uh, in Kansas, plays with. Tim Grunhardt's son and for Tim Grunhardt's who's assistant on that staff now and then Jonathan Dora, kicker that Notre Dame flipped from Maryland. Uh, over the weekend, we sort of took an under-the-radar official visit. They see him as a, a kickoff specialist out of the gate, maybe a chance to, to compete for place-kicking duties later. But you know, certainly Denmark, Keith, and Armstrong are, are the more interesting guys. You know, you're flipping a kid from Cal and flipping a kid from Missouri, um, two programs that are in much more tumultuous situations than Notre Dame. Uh, and you're getting two guys that should know what they're getting into more than most, probably more than some of the guys who have taken three or four visits to Notre Dame. Um, and I think that's that's a positive for their, I think, long-term viability here because they're both probably going to be more, I don't want to say five-year players, but not guys that Notre Dame's going to ask to do a ton Right away, yeah, maybe get Mark Keith. I think is a candidate for special teams early, but you know we'll see about that. But you know, how many times when a, when Nordin gets a verbal commitment or kids coming in, I think one of the first things I write when I'm doing a film review is you know needs time in the weight room in order to be ready, and everybody needs that obviously as you move up to the next level, but. There's a physical maturity about Genmar Keith and Armstrong that you don't get in every recruit. So I think that's a positive. I think that just the maturity in general and talking to Rick Meyer about Genmar Keith, he said that that he's an older senior. I don't know if he's turned 19 yet, but he's probably pretty close. And there's just a maturity about him. He was born in Sweden. He's an he's a inter, interesting background. His father is Swedish, and he was, he was born there. How much time he spent there, I don't know. But he, he's pretty worldly. Which I know you like to hear about recruits, Tim, because then they, because then they stop playing football yeah, before they yeah, uh, have finished all their eligibility. Can, can be, get a job in DC but, when he's twenty. It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do like that because listen, I was just going to think to myself, 
if if Romeo Aquara was a nineteen year old freshman coming yeah, instead, oh, that's what you were instead thinking. of twelve, he'd have been great. Right. But Jafar Armstrong, mm-hmm. when I watched this film, I immediately wrote down W receiver and then I read Jake's story and the coach said X. But I think that either means I'm just wrong or it speaks to the versatility that he can come in and and could not this year, obviously, but down the road that yeah. he can play multiple positions for you. You're right, he's weird to watch on film because when the ball's in the air he seems six four. But then you just look at him, he's like a stout six feet. He yeah. doesn't even seem so six he's kinda, feet. He kind of has the build of a tight end, but he doesn't have the stature. Yeah. He makes, pl- I mean, he wins jump balls. He wins 50-50 balls. They're 90-10 balls because he's he's so good at that. But he's going to have to use his strength and physicality to to be, a, you know, an effective receiver because he, ha- he doesn't have great speed. Uh, you know, I mean, I think he's probably... Yeah, it's like you watch. You've seen him listed at four four somewhere. He nah, certainly no plays more like four six. Yeah, and, I mean to me, it's more almost sort of built like a safety. Yeah, um, and that's a possibility too. I don't know how much he's played on the defensive side of the yeah. ball. Fortunately, you have to have more than one wide receiver yeah. in your, in your <laughs> recruiting class. As I, as I wrote at the end of who did I do the second of the Armstrong? I did the second of the two film reviews. You know, these are nice catches. They're solid players. They're physically mature. They're mature. That's all a good thing, but. How this class will ultimately be judged will have a lot to do with the four guys that we're about to talk about. And, and, you know, those are basically the last four guys on the list for Notre Dame, Pete. And why don't you give us some insight as to where you think they're going to end up? Yeah, Rush East will be the first one. Uh, Louisville commit. I think he's going to sign with Louisville based on all the intel that I've got over the last 24 hours. His dad told our Steve Hare decision is imminent. And not just an eight. Well, duh, signing day's Wednesday. But, like... Probably today, yeah. um, they'll come out and reaffirm his commitment to Louisville. That's I think ultimately it was just a miscalculation on Notre staff at the coordinator level, um, inability to figure out whether he was a receiver or a corner. Could play both. They could use help at both. One of the greatest miscalculations of of, of this cycle for sure. <laughs> um, they've had some other ones like in past years, but the, your Russ East will be the one where I would think three years down the road you're like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? He was Gatorade Player of the Year in Indiana? Um, that's a tough one. I do think with Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, and Jalen Harris, the two defensive linemen from Hawaii and Arizona, if I had, if I had to put up money on it, I'd say Norton gets both of them. Um, Jalen Harris, they had to get both parents on campus. They both not only graduated from Arizona, but were athletes at Arizona. Dad played football, played in the NFL. Mom was a basketball player there. They feel like they won over both parents and the kid, um, and the mom is sort was sort of the key decision maker there. Um, and they feel like they they sort of killed that. And last her weekend. tweets seem to indicate that yeah, she credit her son for leaving the a nest mature, type Yes, thing. right, right, making a mature yeah. decision. So that um, sounds promising. Tagovailoa Mosa, I think, is I have less of a feel for that one. I think it's more of a well, let's see what happens on Wednesday. But Notre Dame feels like they're very much in it. It's either Notre Dame or Vanderbilt, unless USC sort of doubles back around and tries to take him. I do think if USC said, we really want you, then he would definitely be going to USC. Uh, and then the last one is Olusu Jeremiah Musa Karmoa from Virginia. I guess it could go, it's Notre Dame or Michigan State. Intel seems to suggest it's going to be Michigan State. Um, but I do think with Jordan Genmar Keith, they're, they're similar type players. I like Owusu Karmoa more. Um, I think he's a more explosive athlete, yeah. but uh, ultimately I think that one is going to go to Michigan State, and that would be, about all the late grabs they're trying to make, I mean, this is a guy they offered, I think, 
almost exactly one week before signing day, and then he visited on a Thursday, Friday. I mean, it's imagine what you could have done. Don't yeah, go imagine what well. you could have done if you would have offered him a scholarship six months ago. Yeah, I mean, there, there are got a lot of guys in this class: Russ Yeast, Matt Kippenhammer from Fort Wayne. Where if they had offered in the summer, they we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about it on this podcast because it'd be like, well, this guy's been committed for eight months. Um, maybe he's even an early enrollee, but um, that's where they are. They the recruiting class was really uneven last year, and that, this is actually one question for Brian Kelly tomorrow. As much as he wants to relive last season, I, I do want to know, like, when you look at the hurdles you had to overcome to get this class together, where does four and eight fit in that yeah. list? Because it, it has to be one, two, three, four, and five in terms of the, the adversity that they had to overcome. Yeah, and then you mix in coaching changes and trying to get the communication yeah. straight and all that. And I will say, you know, when you get to this point of recruiting, I mean, I'm, I'm like any other Notre Dame person that wants – I mean, you want all the best players. I, I want all four of these guys. I'm greedy. I, I want all four to come to Notre Dame. Pete and I, Tim too, I think we all love Alusu Koromoa. I mean, he's a versatile athlete that can do a lot. However – and obviously yeast as well because that was a mistake. But if you said you only get two of these four, I think I would take the two. I definitely would take the two defensive linemen because I think there was a potential for them to be difference making players up front, and that's exactly what is preventing Notre Dame from going to the next level. Yeah, you missed on previous defensive linemen. Too many previous defensive linemen. So get as much talent there as you can because at some point that's unless Elijah Taylor works out. Which I like Elijah Taylor. I thought. I guess Mike Elston likes Elijah Taylor, right? Yeah. He kind of mandated he had to play last year when yeah. he wasn't playing. Um, he wasn't playing early on. But if he doesn't work out, they kind of swung and missed in that class. Um, if Daniel Cage can't overcome concussion issues, they really swung and missed in that class as well. Uh, a lot of I look back at some notes from some old recruiting things, and I, I was going over the, the current seniors. And I remember the one thing that should have been a red flag, and I just totally ignored it, was all the guys I like are so-called sleepers. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's not good when you're really, yeah. you know, marked it down. And then Jonathan, Bo- Jonathan Bonner can become a player over the next two years. <laughs> you're going to get a couple a of hit, yeah, but, you know, you can't expect a high percentage right. of, quote, sleepers to... Especially the late grabs, and we had a discussion about this on our, our message board about, because people were sort of getting on me about, like, you know, why are you so down on, like, the late offers? Like, I really like Jalen Harris, and I really like Tiger Bailoa, and I'm like, I, I do too. I think they're good-looking prospects, but... If we're going to accept as fact that Notre Dame is a really unique place and it takes really unique people to just not only survive but thrive here, and then we're going to ask people to come to Notre Dame to play football and be students off one visit and not really knowing anything about it and going halfway across the country. Yeah, from Hawaii. Then guess what? Don't be surprised when things don't go really well because they're having some culture shock issues or some serious homesickness or they got here and they're like, well, wait a minute, I had no idea that I had to do this or... I had no idea that it was twenty degrees here for six months. It's you're you're asking you're you're really upping the risk level in an inherently already risky. Now process. I think I, I I I read that and I was involved in the exchange and I and I thought that that was all good stuff. When I look at a guy like Jalen Harris with the parental involvement, college graduates. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, you know, when you have that kind of background and that kind of family atmosphere. You would think that that would be beneficial to a Jalen Harris when, if and when he comes to Notre Dame and faces some adversity. Besides, I know you did the story on this. Besides Schwenke and Spond as late offers, who were the best? And that's different. Late offers, a new coach. That's why they were late offers. Yeah. Who, who were the best late offers 
Those two actually fit the culture perfectly too. Yeah, Clark and Danny Spahn. That's something that you allow us to prepare for. Before. No, I just no, we, we've <laughs> thought thinking about those late guys January that, guys. They that. offered at the very end that they got. Um, you know, Daniel Daniel Cage would definitely oh, be one yeah, of yeah. them. That's right. Um, but like in the Weiss era, it's basically Cage, Schwenke, and Spahn. That's sort of about it. Um, then there's a huge drop off yeah. to the next group. Off the top of my head, I, I feel like Brian Smith was a really late offer, but now I'm not so sure. I just remember he was committed to Iowa, and then they sort of flipped him. Um, but I think that was also a coaching staff change at Notre Dame, at least in, his, on an assistant level. But his, a, his dad, dad played here. Right, right. And so why did it work? He had familiarity with Notre Dame in the, in the same way that I think Jordan Ar- or um, Jafar Armstrong and Jordan Gamar Keith probably will work is because they had familiarity with Notre Dame well before that first really late visit and late offer. Um, but it just it's it's hard to do when you're you're going and when you're going into places that you know it's not a school that sends a lot of people here or you know the coaching staff changed or you know the system changed and in the case of some of these guys all three of those things yeah. are true. So recruiting is like I said it's a it's a it's a risky business and. It just increases the risks when you don't have the familiarity with these late guys that you do with, you know, Brock Wrights and Cole Komet's of world. All right. We covered a lot of ground here today. Yeah, we'll be back uh, Thursday for our post-signing day podcast. Um, I guess knock on table here will be a slightly uneventful signing day, except for maybe a couple defensive linemen. Maybe meet five more assistant coaches on Thursday yeah, as well. we'll see. <laughs> Should have plenty of material to cover yet again with another information bomb from the Notre Dame football program. So we look forward to diving into all that on National Sign Day tomorrow. And then our podcast will return Thursday for another episode of Irish Illustrated Insiders. So until then, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, thanks for listening.